Jesus promised us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that when the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon the followers, they would become witnesses to Jerusalem, the place where they were residing. They would become witnesses then to Judea and Samaria, that's their homeland, and they would become witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. And that very promise of Acts 1-8 became a reality in Acts chapter 2 when the followers gathered together and the person of the Holy Spirit came upon that gathering and anointed them on that feast of Pentecost, which they were celebrating, to begin to proclaim the wonders of God to all the visitors to that feast in their native languages. God anointed those followers supernaturally so that they could begin to proclaim the word of, uh, of, of Jesus in tongues and languages that these people would understand. And so began the Jesus movement. The Jesus movement began to uh, take hold. And the universal mission by Jesus to his followers has always been to witness where we live, to witness to our homeland, and to witness to the othermost parts of the world, reaching out to our community is a core value for us here at Grace Point. Uh, we call that being grace givers. And I strongly believe, and I hope you are becoming ones who join me in that belief, that we have been gifted by the person of the Holy Spirit, we have been, not just those initial followers, but according to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to share God's grace with those around us. And by doing so, we become part of God's plan to reach our communities where we, where we find ourselves living uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ by the way we live and by the way we uh, share about Christ. But he has graced us to be graced to others. You are a grace giver. Um, boy, I tell you, what I'm going to share with you this morning is super important. It's just super important. Uh, we are called to this wonderful life of living out loud in our communities for the glory of Jesus to help be part of, uh, of, the, of the spreading of, of, the, of the word of Christ. Um, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 tells us this, we are to always entertain strangers among us, for by doing so, some of us are even entertaining angels. And what was being shared there is that you and I are to welcome strangers. And all that means is people different from ourselves. People who maybe didn't come from the same family background, maybe people who are different economic levels, maybe people who are different colors, maybe people who come from, you know, a, a different nation, whatever be the case, we're to share with the strangers among ourselves. And you know what? They become then messengers of God to us. Do you realize that? They become one to expand our understanding of what humanity is and give us a more full-orbed picture of, of the nature of the Lord. And, and so we're to kind of, when I, when I share about, <laughs> when I talk about this kind of topic matter with people, you see, I, I, they, you begin to close off if you're honest. I'm not going to share. No, no, just hang with me today because this isn't as hard as it sounds. And I, I really want us to become ones who basically just begin to live really out loud for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the impact I or you may have on the life of other people just simply by loving Jesus Christ and loving people may be more significant than oftentimes we even realize. We have a little video here that maybe gets after how this can work. So watch this video. It's entitled Strangers. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. 
Nate became a believer partly because of... Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. I watched that several times. I thought that is how some of this really does work. We never know how God is going to use our lives to impact the lives of others, but we have to be willing uh, to be used. And this morning I want to share with you for a few moments on this idea that each one of us is part of Jesus' plan to impact others. This is the promise Jesus made to us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The stranger video, I think, really illustrates this well, how this can indeed work. And I, I, I like how, at the end, Kim and Nate smile at each other, and yet they don't know their interconnectedness uh, that, that has transpired through this uh, myriad uh, link of events. And so I think a key strategy for us uh, connecting, truly connecting, 
with others around us is to understand how to become what I call culturally relevant. This means I'm willing to engage those around me in a way that they can understand. Okay, so I'm going to talk about being culturally relevant today, but when I use that term, all I'm meaning is this, that I am stepping into other people's worlds in a way that they can understand what my life's about and what I'm saying. I think we in Christianity have oftentimes said to other people, come into our culture, learn our ways and learn our language, and we have that just backwards. God didn't say on that first day of Pentecost, here, you all come into my world. He went into their world, and he spoke in ways that people could understand, amen? And I think he modeled for you and I an attitude that we're to have. We're to go into our world, our culture, and we're to speak a language that they understand, amen? I should get an amen. Amen? We should speak a language that they understand. Years ago, um, the Norby family was called to Williston, North Dakota. I grew up in the Twin Cities. I'm a classic city boy. I don't talk about that much. I grew up in Brooklyn Park. Uh, at any rate, uh, so I moved to this western place called Williston, and it is West River, and it acts West River. Some of you know what I mean by that. I didn't know what I meant by that when I moved there. Everything culturally was different. The climate, for one thing, was really different. I, I went to this arid place. I grew up in Minnesota. It rained all the time. And the other thing I noticed about Wilson right away was it was always windy and there were no trees. And I grew up in a place that there were trees everywhere and very rarely could you even feel the wind. And I remember one of my friends that I, I became really good friends with jokingly said one day when we were sitting there, there's not one natural tree in Williston. Every single tree has been planted by some human being here and nurtured to get to the place that it has gotten to. They just do not grow here unless someone takes care of them. And then I realized I was in a, a different culture than I was used to. It was oil field culture. And um, it was a rough culture. But you know what? I began to realize that God had blessed me with a mechanical engineering degree, and I could speak the language a lot of those folks were speaking. They were really into things like fracking at that time. It was a new technology. They were beginning to discover how to get oil out of rocks by blowing up the rocks a little bit by using hydraulic pressure. And they, they were just discovering when I got there how to do horizontal drilling. So they would go down a mile, they'd drill down a mile, and then they'd drill a mile straight horizontal to get to where the oil was. It was, an it was an amazing technological breakthrough. And I began to say, okay, God, I have been thrown into this world that's entirely different than what I'm used to. Help me to engage with these ones and love them and to witness to them and help me to enter into this world. I didn't ask them to enter into my world. God was asking me to enter into their world. And you know what I've discovered? They're great people. You read a lot of stuff about the oil field. Most of it's just exaggerated. These are just people trying to make a living. And they just want to know what life's about just like anybody else. Amen? And as I begin to enter into their world, I begin to have a heart for them and compassion for them and, and really want them to know Jesus Christ like I knew Jesus Christ. But the key to that was what? I was willing to enter into their world. I didn't ask them to come to my world. I went into their world. And that, my friends, is the essence of being culturally relevant. If you want to become a true grace giver, it's got to be about somebody else. It can't be about yourself. 
And so for a few moments this morning, what I'm going to do is share some essentials on becoming culturally relevant found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. Um, remember, when I use the word culturally relevant, all I'm saying is speaking about Christ, who he is, living in such a way that those in culture understand what in the world you're saying. All right? That's all I mean by being culturally relevant. So here we go. Listen to this scripture. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of the slander. I think this text reveals to us three essentials for cultural relevance. And I think if we grab a hold of these, it will change how we really engage with our culture. First of all, cultural relevance begins with the lordship of Jesus in your own life. First of all, if you want to be really relevant, Jesus truly has to be lord of your life. You see, you can relate well to culture. You can really get along with those you work with. You can um, you know, engage really well with your family, with your neighbors. And it, but if you never bring Christ into the mix of that, I'm going to just tell you something. You're not relevant. You're just in culture, okay? To be culturally relevant, like I'm talking about, means that at some point in engagement, Christ is in the middle of that thing. Sometimes I think we erroneously think that being relevant means I'm likable and popular. No, it means you have something to contribute of significance to another human being, amen? That's what it means to be relevant. And relevance begins... For you and I, who call ourselves Christ followers, if you call yourself that today, with the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I think the rub oftentimes is that we get so nervous about this that we nervously try to share with people. I don't know about you, but when you're nervous, it makes those nervous around you. When you're tense and uptight, it makes those around you tense and uptight. And I I think sometimes we then think this Living for Christ and sharing about Christ is so difficult that we begin to memorize things to try to help, right? And pretty soon we're reciting something we memorize to somebody because we're so nervous just to live our life out loud and share who we really are in Jesus Christ. And I, I, I was thinking about this and it reminded me of Despicable 2 movie. Did you ever watch Despicable 2, some of you? Despicable Me Too, I should say it right. The second one. And you got that little girl, I think her name was Agnes, or I, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I think I'm saying that right. It, she, at one point, does this Mother's Day poem. Do you remember that? I just laughed and laughed and laughed at that uh, Mother's Day poem. Oh, there she is, right there in the corner of the screen, so you can kind of look at her there. But, you, you know, she starts reciting this Mother's Day poem. She kisses my boo-boos. She braids my hair. We love you mothers everywhere. And, you know, you, you hear it, and you go, oh, well, and then I love how... You know, her dad there says, well, we need to work on some of your presentation here. So you get out into the world. You're so nervous about who Jesus is and sharing about him. You go to somebody and go, I love Jesus. He's everywhere. And they go, what? And it's because you're so nervous. 
And then they, if they, at best, they wonder what's wrong with you. At worst, they begin to think, maybe I'm just a project of this person. They're just giving me some recitation. You know, nobody wants to feel like a project. What has to happen is you have to be excited about the Lord Jesus Christ so much so that you can't help but share about him. Um, let, me, let me, maybe this will help. I, I, I like to watch sports. And... Uh, uh, but I, I have to admit, I'm not a very emotional fan. Um, just not built that way. So lot, lots of times I'll be watching the Vikings play and it's a good nap time. I'll just fall asleep. But every now and then, watching, you know, a basketball game or a football game. And this happened to me recently, watching a couple of the uh, Jacks events. You know, I remember seeing the one girl make a no-look pass. And, oh, my goodness. Did you just see that? And then I was watching in the boys' basketball game uh, the following night, and man alive, I shared this last week. I don't think I shared it first hour, though. Flatten went up and did a monster duck. It was so athletic. His, his elbow was above the rim. I'm just going, woo, doggy, you know, that's a dunk, you know. And then listening to football, I love it when the, when the running back breaks several tackles and you just, you go, wow. You know, you just kind of, you know what happens? Who's ever around me hears about it. I'm indiscriminate. You're going to be hearing about that. Did you see that? Can you believe that? What in the world? What just happened there? The excitement of what just transpired overtook me, and I just shared about it. That needs to be the case with our walk with Christ. That's why this section of Scripture, I think, begins with this admonition. Revere Christ. In other words, know who he really is. Set him apart in your heart. Be excited about him because he's spectacular. Because when that happens, guess what happens to you? Sometimes, in spite of yourself and your inhibitions and your shyness, you just can't help it. You share about Jesus. It just kind of bubbles out. See, revere means set apart, devoted to God, seeing God as holy, being just overwhelmed with who he is. And then I think 1 Peter 3.15 implies that this is the proper heart platform in you for sharing Jesus. You share a thought-out faith motivated, motivated by love and awe of God instead of a desire to win an argument. Sometimes we go out there and we think we're going to argue people into believing about Jesus. Don't do that. I've never seen that ever work. And you can win the argument, but you're losing the battle because that person's still resistant to Jesus Christ. Your life must show who you really are and, not, and just let it rip at times. Just let it bubble out. Um, the follower of God and awe of God um, with a heart set apart is a heart prepared then to share the hope that he or she has in Jesus Christ. You've got to understand this. You've got to come to this understanding. The greatest need of every person is to know Jesus. The greatest need of every person is to know Jesus. Therefore, you are the most relevant to your culture, to your Jerusalem, to your family, to your friends, to your workspace, to your schoolmates, whatever be the case, when it is evident that you truly revere and you truly love Jesus Christ. You become most relevant when that's actually transpiring. This doesn't mean you're popular. doesn't mean you're likable. It means you're relevant. It means you're significant. You have something that matters to others. 
And the next thought that Peter brings us to in this scripture is that we need to be ready to give an answer to everyone that asks the reason we have hope in Jesus Christ. And I think you will get asked that if you're really just excited about following Christ. Eventually, people say, what's up with you? I had that happen all the time to me at 3 a.m. Why are you different? Why are you smiling when everybody else is angry? Why don't you get upset when everybody else is mad? Why don't you ever swear? I would get those questions. What are they lead-ins to? An opportunity to share briefly about why. And I would. I would just say, well, I have Christ in my heart. No apology, no explanation, just sharing. And see, cultural relevance happens as you answer the questions of your culture concerning your faith. As you begin to answer the questions of your culture concerning your faith. Let me give you an example that happened years ago in my own life. When I was passing back in Williston, North Dakota, uh, a movie came out based on a, a real popular book at that time called The Da Vinci Code. Anybody remember that? You remember the movie, The Da Vinci Code, right? Some of you probably watched it. And what the book claimed and what the movie then uh, showed was that, you know, Christ was married and had children and there was a bloodline and it was a real subversion of, of who Jesus Christ actually is. And so I read the book to know what it was about. And then I read a, a refutal to the book written by a Christian author, Jim Garlow of Skyline Wesleyan, to know how to give answers to it. I didn't get real upset that this was going on. Like a lot of people thought, oh no, what's going on? They're perverting the message of Jesus. Really? Like that's been going on for 2,000 years, amen? And so what was going on though here with this was, it was an opportunity to really begin to talk and engage with some people I'd never talked with and engaged with before on the things of Christ because they were now interested. And I had so many conversations on people ask me, what about this Gnostic gospel thing? What's that all about? You know what? For the first time in my pastoral career and the only time, I got to talk on the canonization of the New Testament, what that's all about. Why some scriptures actually canonized, when some gospels were rejected as not being of, of the apostleships, you know, and, and the writings about Christ. And I got to actually engage. And I remember holding impromptu meetings at our church. And we had 70 to 120 show up a night. And I remember uh, it was really funny because we even had people coming from the Catholic Church. And so they're coming into Wesleyan Church, which was really, well, anyway, I thought that was funny. Um, and I remember three old little ladies were sitting in the front. And, and the first meeting we had, we talked a lot about a whole bunch of things for about an hour and a half. And they came up to me and, and they said, we don't need to come back anymore. You answered all our questions. I said, well, good. You know, and that's what that was about. But, you know, just having different kinds of engagement, oftentimes the very things that we worry about, if we become informed about and we can give a scriptural answer to, become a point of engagement. Amen? You follow what I'm saying? And, and God has graced us to be ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ if we know what we're talking about. And so two components of the answer, I think, that are important to understand are this. First of all, articulation of the facts. You've got to know the message of Jesus. You've got to know who you are and what's going on in your life so that when you have opportunity to share, you can share. So I did some homework when the Da Vinci Code thing was hitting culture. I didn't say, oh, no, this is hitting culture. I said, I'm going to get a little educated on this. I'm going to know what's up, and I'm going to be able to share on it. So when things come up in culture and you don't know the answer, figure it out. Amen? Get informed so that you can speak into it with relevancy. 
I shared this uh, a few weeks back in our intentional worship series, but when it comes to relevance now, this is going to make this even clearer than it was back then. I think there are three R's to relevance that we need to understand just as a Christ follower. We just need to be able to articulate these facts to anybody that asks for the reason for, for the hope that we have in Christ. We need to know the three R's of relevance. One, we serve a resurrected Jesus Christ. We serve a resurrected Christ. Resurrection is key to our faith our Christian faith. Um, the resurrected Jesus was seen by hundreds of witnesses. That's something you should know and be able to share and articulate. He didn't just mystically appear. He appeared bodily and hundreds of witnesses saw him after his resurrection. God was the first grave robber. Amen? He, he, the grave couldn't contain Christ. Death couldn't contain Christ. The power of God resurrected him from the dead. And listen, likewise, you and I then have the hope of resurrection, don't we? Amen? People need that kind of hope. Because if they don't know Jesus, they go to bed every night thinking this is it, and then they're fearful of death. They're very fearful of, of death and all that implies. So the first R of being relevant is, is resurrection. The second is we're people who understand redemption. We understand that we're sinful and separated from God and that we cannot earn favor. We cannot work our own salvation. We were hopelessly lost. And then Jesus came, this perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he died on our behalf for our sins, and he redeemed us. He bought us back from death and enslavement to sin and now we're free in God, and we become his child, so we're redeemed. We are people of redemption. First R is resurrection. Second R is redemption. And the third R is equally as important, and that's return. Jesus has promised he's coming back again. Right now, at this very moment, he's preparing a place in heaven for you and I, for all those who have given their life in faith to Jesus Christ. He's preparing a home for us right now. And he has promised he will return once again and he will make all things right and reestablish his rule here on earth in totality. Amen? So the three R's of relevance for you and I as Christ followers are resurrection, redemption, and what? Return. It's easy to remember, isn't it? Come on, I'm doing everything I can to make this super easy. So we, we can remember this and we can share this. Now, the second key element, I think, to effectively answering questions is presentation of the answer in a way that is understandable to the one you're talking to. See, you and I who have been in Christian faith for a long time, we begin to become Christianese. We talk in language that nobody understands but us Christians. And if you're outside the faith, think about somebody outside the faith for a while. I talk to people like that all the time. We sing about the wonderful blood of Jesus. What? If you're not a Christ follower, what do you, what do you think singing about blood for? And then we think about the beautiful cross of Jesus. What? That's like an instrument of death. Why are you singing about that? And then we say, we are the army, you know, marching on for Jesus. And then everybody's scared of us because they think we're crazy fundamentalists that are ready to take up arms and force people to follow Christ. They don't know. Why would they know any different? All joking aside, these things scare people. They do not know this language. If you speak in this language, if you say somebody, 
hey, you know what? You need to be born again, blood-bought, purchased by Christ, who died on the cross for you, and then get in his army. That's not going to work. They're going to look at you and say, you're a lunatoony. And they're not going to follow Christ. So start speaking in ways that people can understand. You know, I've seen this in my life um, where two people of different languages are talking to each other and they don't understand each other. And one's asking for directions from the other one and they don't understand what the other one is saying. So you know what they do? They get louder. I don't know. I think it's a hearing problem. And I talk louder so I can understand. Even though you're talking an entirely different language from me, I'll just speak louder. That's exactly what we do as Christ followers. When they don't understand us, we think it's a hearing problem. So we'll just say it louder. It's an understanding issue. We have to speak in language that people understand. Drop the Christianese and speak plain English. People will have a much better response. And don't speak loud. It just offends people. Paul, an apostle of the early church, was masterful at speaking a language that people could understand. He had one such encounter in Acts chapter uh, 17. He was always on the lookout to share about Jesus Christ, and so he ends up in Athens, Greece. And he noted to the people there that they were very religious. He had an opportunity to share. He said, I see all these statues to all these gods, and you even have the statue to an unknown god. And they were worried about missing some God, so they actually made a statue to an unknown God. He said, I am here to talk to you about the unknown God. That's Jesus Christ, the only real God. And then he went on to talk with them, and he said, you know what? Your own poets have said that you are sons of God. Why then do you think as sons of God that you can manufacture out of silver and gold and wood these statues, and they're your gods? That doesn't even make any sense. And so what he did was he tried to step into their world and explain to them who Jesus Christ was using their language and their understanding. And we're told a few actually responded and were saved. Now, some have read this and said, well, only a few responded and were saved, so it wasn't very effective. Let me ask this probing question if any of us are prone to get critical of this. How long has it been in your life since a few were saved because of something you said? That wasn't the point of this. The amount is not the point. The approach that Paul models for us is the point here I think we're supposed to get. See, the reason that I don't think these ones responded was that they were philosophers and they were heady and they were prideful and full of themselves and such a group of people are very hard to win over to Jesus Christ. Because the proud resist the things of God, but the humble receive it gladly. There are two extremes I think we need to avoid when it comes to being culturally relevant. One is imitation of culture to the point of harming the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. If we're so into relating to the world that we're no different from them, we're no heavenly good. We have to be noticeably different. One of my big concerns about the Christian community right now is we've got to the point where we're not very different in the way we do life or share or act or, or, or love or anything and this kind of imitation doesn't help the cause of Jesus Christ. A second extreme to avoid is isolation from culture to the neglect of the Great Commission. This is, uh, you know, hold the old fort kind of mentality. All this is evil around me. I'm not going to let it affect me at all. And so I'm going to, you know, insulate and isolate from culture. How are you going to be culturally relevant when you're insulating and isolating from culture? These two things, imitation and isolation, taken to extremes are not good. 
But instead, we have to have this ready to give an answer of a hope kind of attitude motivated by awe of God going on in our life. And there's one more thought that Peter presents here that's just absolutely critical. I'm going to share that with you, and then we're going to be done for the morning. This is our concluding thought today, and it's this. The how you relate to the culture is as important as the what you relate. Did you hear that? The how you relate to culture is as important as the what you relate. Super important. These verses conclude today by saying, be gentle and respectful when you share. So that those who speak maliciously against you and your good behavior will be ashamed of their slander. I do a lot of premarital counseling um, for weddings and things like that. And I, I, I share with a couple uh, a lot of times about communication. And communication contains three basic elements. The content, right? Tone, and usually those hidden body language messages that are coming across. Now, what this material tells me is this, that content really is only about 7% of the received message. Tone's about 38% of the received message. And body language is a whopping 55%. I don't know if that's true or not. They come up with these numbers. They go, well, where'd you get that number from? But I think the essential, uh, you know, truth that's being presented here is correct. So I will say this to a couple frequently. You will eventually have an argument <laughs> if you haven't had any already. L- let's talk about communication for a minute. If, say, I'm your husband and you're a woman, all right? And we're, we're arguing, and I want to tell you, though, in the middle of all this, I love you, and I fold my arms, and I rigidly stand back like this, because that's usually the posture of a good argument, amen? Your arms are folded, and you're rigid, and then you go, you know I love you. I have said something that's true in my heart, I love you. What does my tone say? I don't love you. What does my body posture say? I don't want anything to do with you. This happens frequently. The content of what we're saying, we think, is the prevailing thing, that it's the big thing. No, it's the tone and and the subtleties of the other things that are being communicated super loudly. So this is why I think Peter says here, listen, you share the truth of Jesus with your culture. Do that, please. Do so with what? Gentleness and respect because body language and tone matter uh, tremendously for it being receivable by the one that you want to receive it. So let's get to the end here. I want to summarize this for you here uh, this morning very quickly. Um, so if we're going to be culturally relevant, we got to love God. It's got to be just an excitement in our heart that at times we can't contain. It just bubbles out. Amen? It just comes out in spite of how shy and timid you are. Then we got to understand that we got to answer questions that are relevant to our culture. Speak in the culture. Be articulate in your, your ability to, to say who Jesus is. Resurrection, redemption, return. Do so, though, in a way that's understandable by people, avoid Christianese practice on each other, talking about Jesus, not using Christian terminology. And then whatever you do, make sure that you're motivated with gentleness and respect. And if we do this, we're culturally relevant, I think. You know what I love about our church? So many of you are this very thing. This is who you are, and I thank God for that. 
because I think that's effective and, and that's, that's powerful. And I just praise God for you. I just pray that God would truly make us culturally relevant. <laughs>